Hello and welcome to the Whole In My Heart podcast. This is episode number 49, The Awkward Middle. Yes, The Awkward Middle. We are not talking about the awkward middle school years, although <laughs> that may come up a little bit. But we're going to talk about that awkward middle space of when you are talking with someone, you're like, ooh, we don't agree on such and such an issue. And you're like, ooh, we feel very strongly about this issue. And how can we engage in this awkward middle space? Uh, my name is Lori Krieg, the one who's talking to you about this, not middle school, but awkward middle area. And I'm here with my husband, Matt. Hello. And with producer Steve. Aloha. Aloha. Every time you're getting a new one. I'm working on it. You're going to need to like pick every state and country and then <laughs> yes. just learn. Bonjour. <laughs> yes. There you go. Well, I think our guest today, I think you're probably fluent in French based on some of what I, I read in your book. But David Bennett, welcome to the podcast. Bonjour tout le monde. Good. Hello, everyone. <laughs> See? See? All right. He, he's winning already, yep. Steve. You can take some lessons from him in between Definitely. recording. Uh, but our friend David, and just in the little, like, 10 minutes of, of prepping to, to push record, I'm like, oh, I already love this, brother. We, we're going to get along here, your, your humor, and yet, like... This, 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 the sincerity and your, um, like you believe this whole gospel, Jesus, Holy Spirit thing. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, let's go. So, 100%. yeah. So, David Bennett, uh, <laughs> it, you have a, um, you are calling us from where? I'm currently in the English countryside, um, not far from a place called the Wiston Estate where there is a worship conference called David's Tent. Um, and so I'm calling from there and just have had an amazing few days just praising and worshiping God. And I'm just so thrilled to speak to you, Laurie, and Aww. everyone and just share this amazing yeah, story of God's love um, and how it's turned my life upside down. Oh, I love it. Love it. And you wrote a book that is going to be released soon. It's called A War of Loves. And when is that coming out? So that will be coming out on November the 11th of right. this year um, with Zondervan. Um, right. I'm also, I work as a fellow at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics in mm. Oxford, where I will be also completing my PhD. We call it a DPhil because, you know, Oxford has to make it a different name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a doctorate yeah. um, in I, uh, Christian ethics. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my word. I I studied for a semester at Oxford University, and oh. I started, like, writing lists of, like, this is how we say it in the United States. This is how they <laughs> mess it all up over here. They have to make everything so posh and fancy. And I'm like, come on. But yeah, it's, exactly. it's a very just gorgeous place and just around every corner is I don't, it's just like a little secret garden everywhere. Like literally, you open up a little hobbit door and you're like, and there is a secret garden behind here. There is. Exactly. You <laughs> just described it perfectly. <laughs> it is. Along with like a little Harry Potter-ness everywhere too, which of course right. we can't that's go right. an episode. That's right. Yeah, Christchurch, <laughs> that's it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I started your book um, a couple days ago and then dug in more yesterday and I didn't get it finished full disclosure but when I was reading it I just was crying and it just mm. and, and like I said even before we started recording I it wasn't like oh my word David is so amazing or oh I feel so sad for his life it was like wow God is so amazing so y'all go pre-order it right now and <laughs> I, I get no kickback for that but I do get kickback in the sense that y'all will be uh, more encouraged and built up to go and uh, build the kingdom. But 
we will dig into that. We want to hear your story and how we ask every person who comes on here about how the gospel is good news for them. But before we do that, we're going to go to our question of the week from last week, which is actually about gender. And um, we Mm. get asked a lot of questions about gender, and um, we're not going to solve all the problems. We've done quite a few podcasts on here, but the question I want to know is what is a core fear that you see men have and women have? And is it the same core fear or do you think it's, it's different? And, um, I'm going to steal a piece from Larry Crabb's book called fully alive. And it's really, it's trying to like Mm. break down gender stereotypes. I really appreciated it. It's not even necessarily about the transgender conversation. It's just about what's it mean to be male and female. There's so many blogs and articles right now, just like, Oh, can women serve an office? And I'm like, what's it mean to be a woman? (laughs) What's it mean to be Mm. feminine? What's it mean to be masculine? So here's Larry, Larry Crabb's quote. And then I'd love for y'all to just kind of bat around just what what is this this greatest fear so he says men and women fear the same thing we fear aloneness life without connection achievement without companionship existence without friendship forever wandering in lonely despair loneliness is a taste of hell women experience the basic fear of aloneness as the terror of invisibility unseen and unwanted the call to invite others toward them arouses their fear Men created and called to move into relationship with others feel the fear of aloneness differently. In their aloneness, men fear weightlessness. Do I have what it takes to move into community, into soul-to-soul connection, to risk that my moving will have no visible impact, to move toward another who might not value my movement? So just that, what do you think of that quote and that like basic fear? Like we have a fear aloneness and like the difference, like do you men fear aloneness and do you fear in that aloneness weightlessness? Uh, well, I would say I didn't really connect with aloneness until he kind of gave that spin of uh, weightlessness and mm-hmm. the aloneness that is found when I move into a situation and yeah. find that no, that I'm getting blank stares or, yeah. or that things aren't going well. People are not following if I'm leading mm. or, you know, that kind of, I don't know, there just feels like a pressure there. Yeah. And so my tendency is to want to just not move to sit still to move Mm -hmm. toward the background to be a wallflower or you know like Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing and and i never really connected that what i'm fearing in that lack of movement is aloneness but i kind of do resonate with that a little bit yeah yeah yeah, weightlessness yeah and i mean it it speaks to the the biblical narrative you know it's not good for man to be alone but but then Mm -hmm. also i i think of like my own journey and when i graduated from college and was in this place where, Lori, you were asking me, like, what are you pursuing now? And I had my youth ministry degree, but I hadn't applied for anything. Mm-hmm. And in my head, my fear was like, this is something that I have put a lot of time and effort into. And if I put myself out there in this and people deem me as unworthy mm. or, or not good enough, that like my whole world would kind of collapse. Mm. And and that was something that eventually I had to get get over and and so i think that that weightlessness it almost speaks to the whole the love and respect like mm-hmm. respect as a relational thing that if 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 i feel like as a man i am not respected by my peers and by those around me that 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 carries a lot of a lot of weight to it hmm. what do you think david what about that that core fear of man of aloneness and weightlessness as a, as a little bit of a kind of pet, like a bit of a theological thought came into my mind as you were speaking mm-hmm. 
I just thought about the words in scripture in the Hebrew Bible and Genesis related to connecto, yep. um, which means opposite alike and mm-hmm. ezer and how, you know, God created us originally as male and female, not as a way to distance us from each other, but to create this beautiful diversity with unity. So I kind of like how Larry Crabb is, is calling that intention, you know, that mm-hmm. we're opposite alike each other as mm-hmm. men and women. Yeah. Um, but the fall has impacted how we relate and how we see ourselves. And yeah, I think for me, I would say I agree that the problems are generally the same. It's the same Adama, the same humanity that we all have and that Christ took on in the incarnation. And so I would say, yeah, definitely that there's this distinction, this difference in the way men and women do have it. And I think for me, I I did resonate with the idea of movement towards intimacy. Mm. Um, I definitely have that. And I see that in kind of the, the story of David and Jonathan and, you know, some of the friendships I have, which are kind of these covenant, I find my desire as a man is, is that movement towards intimacy. And if that's rejected, Ugh. I really struggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, you know, my, I think self-rejection would be the other thing that, or, or just being rejection generally, I mm-hmm. think relates deeply to that loneliness fear mm-hmm. um, that, that Crab's talking about. So yeah, like I, I really think it's a great, a great point from him. Yeah. And mm. as, the woman in the room, um, just thinking about women's basic fear of aloneness, uh, of invisibility. And I think about when we talk about core needs and how that need to be seen, that's always like the biggest one for me, the one that gets depleted the easiest. And I think about this week, even we spoke for many hours teaching and, um, it was good and it was super hard. And when every time I teach, I'm very vulnerable, shocker. And I'm in, I am, uh, but I'm also like, I know what I'm teaching. I'm so excited about, and I teach things that are from the core of who I am and that I like, we've been working for years on developing. And so I try my best to keep my eyes on God and like, Jesus, I know your word matters the most, but especially in exhaustion or like if anyone has any feedback for me right after I was, it's hard for me. And so I just like, I, after six hours of teaching this week, I just like cried because I was so, I got some feedback that was, it was actually really helpful and constructive. It was like, oh my word, this was phenomenal. Here's a few things. But I was like, I just, I put myself out Mm -hmm. there, but then that whole to be unseen and unwanted, it felt unwanted and unseen. And so it took me a little, a few minutes to, I mean, several minutes and maybe 24 hours uh, to really process that and like reorient my being seen by God, but it affected me because mm-hmm. I put myself out there and I invited people toward me and then it felt like rejection. Mm-hmm. Good. This is a gigantic discussion. I think it's funny. Like, I think that's a really great point at the end, Laurie, that you're saying that it does kind of come back to similar things, but yeah. the, the kind of phenomenon of it in the person that's male or female yeah. can be quite different. And I think that's the other point I was going to make is that we have these kind of bodies that we have been given and sure the fall has impacted them, but mm-hmm. there's still a sense in which there's this maleness and femaleness in, in humanity. And yeah. I think that that's a precious gift mm. uh, that God has given us so that we can experience diversity within unity. So yeah, I love it. I think yeah. it's such a good quote from, from, from him. It's wow. It's really, yeah. Know, 
fantastic. Well, and the mm. whole the whole book is so great. And he talks about how male. So he does the whole Adam. I don't know how to say it all in the Hebrew. So he goes through like humanity and then male and female. And then he talks about just in the Hebrew that uh, the femaleness and maleness and our relating. And it's Nikeba for women, which is one who uh, is open to receive. And then for male, mm. it is Zakar. I, if, I'm probably not saying it right, but I, it's how it sounds to me, looks to me. That's right, Zakar. Zakar, yeah. and that's one who remembers and moves. So it's so funny because they're both relational. They're both like pursuant, which is such a, that's so God. But they're, it's like men are like remembers and movers in, and we as women are like receive, inviting people toward us. And so in that rejection of invitation or rejection of pursuit, we can shut down. So it's mm. still the same basic fear, but it, it the way we enact it is different. Mm. I was I was thinking about certain literature related to how you have to kind of make peace as a man with your inner feminine, mm. and 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 also how as women you have to make peace with your inner masculine to truly be, you know, to to find that healthy expression of your maleness and femaleness mm. i and i i think i agree with that i think you know whilst yes we are all male and female we can all relate to the other sex at the Absolutely. same time because we have something within us that relates to that other sex and i think even as a gay or same-sex attracted man i i think because of that experience i've been able to kind of make peace with my inner feminine and relate to women quite profoundly which has been a real gift whereas mm. i feel a lot of my straight male friends, it can be quite hard for them because there's this whole fear around, you know, the, the area of, you know, interest in the other. Mm-hmm. Suddenly mm-hmm. they're not able to relate. Oh, well, we're too different or we're, you know, I'm going to be, if I do this, then the other sex will interpret it this way. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so, yeah, I think there's just a lot of fear that needs to be broken around this conversation. I think the con- and the, the part you're picking up about loneliness and the difference is really important in that. Yeah, it is. Mm. So we're going to pause that conversation. Um, and again, I love how this podcast feels like an ongoing conversation about different threads that God seems to bring up. So I'm sure we'll come back to that. And thank you for your, your perspective. Um, I'm going to be thinking about what we just talked about for a while. But now... And the vehicle we are taking is Gandalf's wagon. Wonderful to see you, Gandalf. Hey, Gandalf. How you doing, bro? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I, I like the older hobbits that look at him, like sneer at him. <laughs> yeah, they're so judgy. Yes. They're like, oh, who and is children, that giant? The children just follow him. I yeah, know. Yeah. Much like Jesus. He's lighting off fireworks off right. the back of his... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Jesus or the Pied Piper. Or the Pied Either one. <laughs> Either. Not one for one. I'm going to stop my blasphemy right there. Okay. <laughs> the game we are playing is called Elevensies. Now, if you have not seen the movie Lord of the Rings, I don't know how you're alive, but <laughs> Gandalf is a character there. He's a big, tall wizard. And Elevensies is uh, what the hobbits eat. Well, okay. Matt, can you explain what Elevensies is? Um, well, at one point in the movie, I think it's Pippin is yep. talking to Mary, and he's <laughs> concerned about the meal um, that they're going to eat during their journeys. And so he goes through the entire litany 
of the the meals that the hobbits eat in their their normal their native land. Yes, and so it's like breakfast, second breakfast, eleven z's, afternoon <laughs> yes. tea, dinner, supper. Wow, you remember this? The core fear of hobbits is not aloneness; it's not having that next meal. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's hole food. in their stomach. Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so I didn't think about this until later, but I know you're from Australia, which is not New Zealand, but it's near New Zealand, and Americans <laughs> just think there's the United States and then. Uh, Australia-ish and the UK and like Africa. We don't know anything. So <laughs> It's America and people who talk with accents. Yeah. Oh, that is sad. Can I just, can I just get into your curriculum in high school and just take a few things? <laughs> Please, <laughs> will you? Because we are very egotistical and self-centered. Also, we like snacks, therefore this game called Elevensies. So I just wanted to... Okay, you know when you guys go to the movies, you're like, okay, we got to get the movie mm. snack. You know what you have to, to eat there. Uh, yeah. Or when, you know, if it's afternoon tea, which we don't have here, uh, or like snack time, like, okay, of course I want this or car trip. There's like car food. There's all these things. And so I just was like, let's figure out what y'all think are the norms for all these things. I'm not going to be a jerk to you guys like I was a little bit to my dad where there were right and wrong answers. Uh, <laughs> I just want to know what you guys think. So we're going to start with not breakfast, but second breakfast. So, you know, you eat, you get up early like I do at 430 up today i slept until 6 30 look at me uh you eat something then and then it's like 10 o'clock or so and you're like i'm hungry what's the second breakfast you're going mm. for well i can throw something weird in please basically i was hoping for all the I... weird things <laughs> go <laughs> well ever since i've moved to the uk i love pork pies what is a pork so they pie? are these little tiny pies with a little pork in them <laughs> And you just kind of pop them in your mouth and like you how run big? out the door. Like how big? Like, like if you put your index finger to your thumb. Yeah. Okay, there you go. That that kind of size. Ah, yeah. It's a little and more they're protein. they're really yummy. Put a bit of ketchup on there and you're ketchup. done. You know, your 11 C's is done. That's wow. awesome. <laughs> Wait, where do you, do you buy, do you make them or buy them? You buy them and okay. it's like a, a really big fad here. And oh. the other thing is mm. scotch eggs, which are oh. kind of like. Uh-huh. Hard-boiled egg with, like, some pork mince around it. And then it's, like, deep-fried. And it's, like, really bad for you. But I love it. (laughs) British people, Um, though, seem to be very, very skinny. How are they eating all this pork and deep-fried things? It's all that tea. Oh. (laughs) It just runs it right through you. You just (laughs) detox in all day. So you're fine. And double down on the pork pies. I was assuming it's because they walk everywhere, but I don't know if that's true. C.S. Lewis seemed to walk a lot. That's true. That is true. Matt? Um, Well, second breakfast for me would have to be uh, the American staple of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. High five, Mm. babe. With the caveat that the jelly is grape. Wrong. See, there it is. I am going to shame in this one. <laughs> Wrong on I jam. Prefer, I yeah. prefer honey. Honey yeah. way, not, not, oh, That's yeah. blasphemy for Matt. I like yeah. honey too. <laughs> and is it crunchy or creamy? Peanut butter. Or natural crunchy. where it's like all up in your teeth, but you feel good about yourself because you went to Whole Foods. Yeah, no, I'm I'm talking the sugar loaded creamy peanut butter. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's like contains two percent peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the LaCroix of peanuts. Yeah. Br- uh, de peanut. <laughs> Here you go. Mainly sugar. <laughs> there you go. And there's that French. There see, yeah. aren't I wow, we are way more educated than we thought we were. Um I'm with the PB and J, but I would probably go with like raspberry or something like that. 
or honey, but like mm. good honey, honeycomb would be the preferred, but endangered bees yeah. probably shouldn't eat that because bees. <laughs> Hmm. Steve? <laughs> well, uh, I'm going a little more literal on my answer for this. Yesterday, I was out to breakfast with the lovely Kelly. Yes, his and, wife. Yep. And I got a Monte Cristo sandwich. Oh, snap. Yes. Oh, Speaking of deep fried. Good stuff right there. And uh, I only ate half of it. I brought the of rest course. home. And then this morning, I didn't wake up in time for first breakfast because I slept <laughs> until like eight. Wow. And wow. so before coming here, I just heated up the other half of that Monte Cristo. And it was literally second. It was the second yeah. breakfast that that <gasps> oh. food was served to me yeah. by so myself. Yeah, you used it again. So yeah, in that again. sense, it was a second breakfast. There but, it is. Yeah. Anyway. So 11Zs, the actual 11Zs, if you've already had second breakfast, I am I mean, I'm guessing we're not actually eating this. You guys, is this going to be any different? Oh, Steve has a big smile on his face. What's 11Zs for you? Donut. Donut, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, Often yeah. I'll be here at work and somebody brings in donuts and it's around 11. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, donuts, and I'll have one. Which donut are you picking? Anything with chocolate. And like, so no matter what, that. like filled, is that the dream donut? What's the dream donut? I just like your good old fashioned chocolate glazed chocolate. Gla wow. There you go. It is good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of crafted my, my ideal menu. Um, and so at 11, I start to crave something salty and also mm. something fatty. And so I'm thinking yeah. like mozzarella sticks, like fried mozzarella oh. sticks with marinara sauce. That would be that would be like the ideal elevensies for mm. me. <laughs> nice. Okay. In St Andrews, Scotland, there's a little a bake, famous bakery called Donaldson and Fisher, and they have a chocolate fudge donut. Oh man! And it's just like out of this world. So that would be like my dream elevensies, but that's wow. an indulgence. Oh, my <laughs> mouth is watering <laughs> in just how you describe well, that. Like and I think it's the accent makes it here. even better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you need to say it's, I don't have the accent. You do. Um, okay. We're going to go through these quickly so we can just, we'll just go around. And if any, anyone says anything really weird, then I'll just stop the train and we'll okay. lean into the weird. Okay. Afternoon tea slash snack. I'm going to go with, oh, sorry, my 11Zs was like, um, I can't do too much food or I'm not going to be able to eat lunch and I like gum. my lunch. Chewing gum. Yeah, oh. it's all, and I'm like kind of an addict. It's a problem. I've talked about that on this podcast before, so it's nothing new. <laughs> it's a problem. Okay. Uh, afternoon tea or snack. I would want like a latte or almonds and pretzels, something like that. Hot cocoa. Uh, Steve? Beef jerky. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Forgot about that one. Anyway, because you're a vegetarian I, now. No, okay, go ahead. Yes, David. <laughs> I do a flat white and a croissant. Oh wow! And you yeah. say it right. Yeah. <laughs> like any chocolate in that? We I can't even repeat it. Like you. Well, because I've had the chocolate fudge donut for oh, eleven yes. years, like I have to bring it down. You know, otherwise, <laughs> I love this so much. There's gonna be dangers in my future. You know. <laughs> I love that this is like our ideal treat yourself day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So then after we do that, we're going to go Netflix watching. And what is your ideal oh, yeah. Netflix watching? I like chips, 85% oh. dark chocolate from Aldi. Yeah, it's the cheap store. Mm. I don't care. I like theirs. And then some good glass of Cabernet would be great. Or maybe a good blend. I'm okay with that, but I like Cab. But red wine is, is yes. a must. Um, yeah, for me, it's going to be the spicy chip, um, like a chili lime chip, tortilla chip, and then mm. a, a, a glass of bourbon. Yeah, bourbon. Matt's oh. drink of choice these days. Yeah, some nice basil Hayden's. Ah. Oh. Um, nice. I was going to say, uh, I, man, I want some of that bourbon now. Um, but I, 
10 a.m. Everyone, yeah. just FYI. Sorry, not <laughs> not, not now. Is it? Yeah. What time is it for you, David? It is 3:41 p.m. Oh, not quite. So not uh, even. We can have. Oh, yeah. We have some. Wait. Even. Yeah, we're all, we're all right. Yeah. It's almost. I'm going to say some kind of chocolate, uh, either chocolate-covered pretzels or chocolate-covered peanuts or chocolate something, and like a, like a stout, like something with yeah. hints Ooh. and notes of coffee slash chocolate. Dark some dragon's chocolate. milk. Yes, exactly. Something like that, but maybe bourbon. Mm. Bring it home, David. What, what about you for Netflix? Well, look, again, it's another UK-inflicted obsession I have, which is sweet and salty popcorn. So oh, it's yeah. like the best of mm. salty popcorn with the best of sweet. And so it's, you, just, it's hard to beat. You, It's like you comes know. in one thing or you buy them separately and mix them up. Well, no, it comes in one thing. Oh. And there's like one brand. I think it's from Aldi, actually. That's like the best. So <gasps> I get that. There's You're, definitely the dark chocolate temptation always. I think at every yeah. single point of the day. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then there's like... Antioxidants, whiskey. though. Whiskey is my new thing. Oh. Vegan. So yeah, I, I yeah, feel like Scott my whiskey. choices, if you asked me a year ago, would be quite different. <laughs> so you've got all the like Scottish things going on right now. So yeah, <laughs> but I love just a like little whiskey, you know, before bed. And mm-hmm. It's really nice. Oh, yeah. Okay. Middle mm. of the night. Do you guys, anyone do middle of the night Garfield going down the stairs and opening up the fridge and eating lasagna or a big piece of cake? Anyone do that? I used to. I mean, when I was in high school. But, I thought you going to say, yeah. like, before you caught me. No, I haven't. <laughs> like, last night I did, but not every day. No. Yeah. No, I mean, in high school, for me, it was always, like, Oreos and milk. Yeah. That was the... Oh. Yeah. Bowl Anyone? of cereal for me. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Boring. But, yeah. Bowl of cereal. If I do it, which is rare. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with the bowl of cereal, too. It's just, like... Eating carbs late at night yes. is the point, right? Mm. <laughs> it's a hug for your stomach and to just put you right cereal. back in bed. Go to bed, exactly. honey. Hug. <laughs> All right. We're going to land this. No, we're going to not land the plane. We're going to stop the cart with Gandalf with this last one. We're going to do movie snack because this is this could be controversial. Uh, we were talking a bit before recording um, Steve and I, that we've become snobs. So in the United States, and maybe you guys have this in the UK, but it, we have movie theaters where the waiters come around and bring you full mm. meals and drinks of your choice. And once you go full meal, you don't go back. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we look at other people with their popcorn and jujubes and we're like, Psh, no. <laughs> so I'd like, like pizza or a good sandwich. And again, glass of wine would be great. And I'm feeling Right. Lean back in that chair. Mm. Do you guys have chalk tops? Nope. Mm. Explain that, man. Well, a cho- so a chalk top is just like, it's really well done. It's kind of like a magnum, but with a cone. Oh. And it's like you've got your chocolate oh, yeah. on top, and it's usually a really thick, like, oh, coating good. of chocolate. So you're going to get a bite like, into it, like and then you, like, mm-hmm. get into ice cream, and you just sit there and watch the movie, and, yeah, it's just bliss. You know? <gasps> that is ideal, yeah. because the usual chalk top, our variety, is, like, the really thin layer, and it's, like, really no. cheap chocolate, right. and you're just kind of mad oh. the whole time. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever been mad eating ice cream with chocolate of any variety. <laughs> so, so I don't know if I can go there there with you. But. Just wait till you have an Australian chop tub, okay? Okay. okay. Oh, that's back. Australia. Okay. That, that's Australia. Okay. okay. Very good. Yeah. 
movie snack, Steve. I kind of uh, outed you. Like, you're yes, snobbery. like you said, I'm a snob. And we've got these theaters now that they're trying to compete with people who just want to watch movies on their couch. Yeah. Because they've got the giant screen uh-huh. and they've got all the comforts of home. So they're like, oh, we got to, you know, put in the recliner chairs and serve the food. And so for me, it would be probably a flatbread pizza and yeah that's like a good choice a pint of oberon or something yeah because you yeah. don't have to like it's not going to spill on you right you can just mash it in your face <laughs> just yep. not peel your eyes away from the screen right. and i'm not standing in line for your popcorn i'm gonna order here at the bar and bring it into the theater as I say, about every four episodes, we are about mm, 10 years out from being Wally at the end. Oh, man. Yeah. Yes. About 10 years. We're going to get wheeled yeah. around. Okay. So this, I went oh, with a cla- kind of a classic movie snack for me, which is Bunch of Crunch. Bunch of Crunch. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but that kind of the, melts in your hand. How, you, you just leave go it, straight you leave box it, to it, mouth. Box to mouth. Like, <laughs> Again, just, Wally. It does, you don't even need to. It doesn't even touch it's the It's like you're drinking it. Just, yeah. Yeah. Tip it back. We are making Americans look horrible. You guys, you haven't mentioned Slurpees. Like, yeah. Oh, is that like a stereotype of us that we love them? Well, no more that that's just like such a big thing for me personally. Yeah. I just oh. love like mixing my Slurpee with like the raspberry flavor yeah. and the Coke flavor and the whatever it flavor. It's a bit ambiguous what exactly it is, but the yeah. blue one. <laughs> the, I don't blue know. one. <laughs> the one that gives you yes. superpowers. Yeah. Yes. Hey, also exactly. a super big headache. No. Anyone oh, else get a big super big head? No, I'm just saying I just start drinking the blue because flavor. Of the sugar content? Is Maybe. I oh, must the, be very fragile. The natural colors in it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just mix it all up and you're like, I think I invented something wonderful. Okay. So the reason that we do this podcast is to talk about uh, how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. And we lean into that how, because it's so, it's great to just talk about, yes, like think, pray the prayer, et cetera. But I love getting into people's stories and hearing how is it not only one time, but how is it ongoingly good news? So David, as I mentioned, I was reading your book yesterday and crying about exactly this in your life. Mm-hmm. So how... I guess just like the, the gospel wasn't always good news for you. And so how how did you relate to Jesus and this whole faith thing growing up and, and how did it begin to shift? Yeah, it's a it's a big story which you you can read in War of Loves, but for me I think it all came down to the fact that I had that stereotypical Western view of God as this kind of angry taskmaster mm. who kind of demanded perfection before he'd had anything to do with you. Right. Um and I'd, I'd read the Bible in a kind of cultural Christian context of my school, growing up in an agnostic home. And yeah, I just knew, you know, as someone who was gay or same-sex attracted at the age of 14, that I wasn't accepted into that culture. Right. And I think that there's often a God that is not really the real living God that we can construct, kind of God of morality or, you know, a God that just isn't the real living God who is right. holy and has, you know, moral boundaries, but who is living and grace, grace filled and mm-hmm. just tender hearted. Yeah. And who's just is dying to know, like literally died to know us. Absolutely. Um, and I think for me like that, that just, I think, you know, Paul, the apostle talks about being under the law versus being in grace or in Christ. And I think, mm-hmm. I was under the law 
Mm. I didn't know the God um, of love that manifested himself in all the way through the Old Testament and then finally in his son and through his mm. spirit. So I just didn't have any of that. And I just read the verses about homosexuality and I was like, okay, I'm condemned in this religion. So I'm going to go for, you know, Wicca and new age religions and construct my own thing and mm. be a Buddhist and try meditation and follow the Dalai Lama around Sydney and mm. spend copious hours in you know new age bookstores um, yeah. reading and then just got to a point where I became an atheist and just was like, there is no God, there's nothing. We're just mm. left to our own devices. And yeah, and none of that worked. It mm. all just kind of came to a head as each step just didn't lead me to love or to truth um, and you, to, to the real God. When, when I was reading your book, there's this tone in those early chapters of like anger and like, like almost oh, yeah. rage. Like why, why were you so angry? Well, I was so angry because I was told that this God had created me and that he'd allowed me to have these desires I couldn't change, which was so profoundly part of who I was as a human being. Mm. And then if I ever tried to act on them, condemn me to hell for them. Yeah. And that just made absolutely no sense to me. Mm. Um, and no Christian really, other than like one friend at school really told me about grace and about the gospel and tried that, but I was just too angry and too stuck in condemnation. I mean, Henry Nouwen, my favorite spiritual writer, who mm -hmm. talks of himself also same-sex attracted, talks yeah. about how, you know, our great, the greatest enemy to the life of the beloved, which is, you know, the life that where we know we're really loved by God. Mm. Um, he says that the greatest enemy to that is actually self-rejection. So I think mm. on top of that, there was also an inner, I don't want to be gay and I hate myself. I don't want to be same-sex attracted. Right. Um, I want to be, you know, straight like everyone else and belong and then that i reacted to that in an extreme pendulum swing towards radical self-disclosure i'm gay if you don't accept it then i don't accept you mm -hmm. and you know um get out of my way yeah because i'm getting my rights and you'll hear from me you know absolutely <laughs> and i'm i'm gonna spend my life you know defending and destroying defending the gay community and destroying homophobia that yeah. was my you know my yeah. clarion call um i picture yeah. you like a caged dog or at least that's what you felt like it's like you it's like the world is or christian world was like you are a dog and you have to be a dog and you have to sit in this cage and you have to sit in this corner and you're sitting there and you're like i don't want to sit in this corner i don't want to sit in this corner and so instead of actually realizing that there was no cage and you're actually a beloved and you can just walk mm. out and walk toward Jesus. It was like you jumped out of the whole cage and turned around and chucked a grenade at it. And you're like, this is who I am. Forget, yes, I am a dog. And this, or not really a dog, but like, this is who I am yeah. and stop it. When really, like, you just needed someone to yeah. tell you, like, no, it's open. You just get to walk out and, and get to know who you really are in, in your belovedness. I think that's definitely true. And the other aspect was experiencing, you know, evil and suffering in the world. I mean, um, I talk about in my book, uh, I met the the world's last, uh, last gay Holocaust survivor. And mm -hmm. I didn't know this until recently. And I actually was writing the book and researching it, that he died a few months after I met him, Aww. which was just like, 
amazing. So God allowed me to like peer into his eyes and feel his pain and what he went through and carry that with me. And mm. that's always touched me and made, made me brave, made me go, no, I'm not backing down from being real about this. And yeah, so I had a kind of smaller experience of homophobia, mm. <laughs> nothing of comparison to what he went through, but right. enough for me to really deeply identify with his suffering. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when I was 14, I was in a park with my then boyfriend, Vladimir, and um, we probably one of the greatest gay relationships I had. There was a real tenderness in our bond. Anyway, we were in a park, our favorite park, and taking me there and he decided he wanted to give me his Russian Orthodox cross that he got for his baptism. And so I had that in my hand and he kissed me and, and as he kissed me, this man pulled up on a motorbike and took a large stone from the side of the uh, garden bed and just proceeded to throw that against my back as mm. I kissed Vladimir. Mm. And so this like rage just like, came out of me and that's when I kind of decided I'm going to be a gay activist and mm. Christianity is the thing that obviously I have this cross in my hand and Christianity is the thing that's caused this homophobia mm. and what's so ironic is now that I look back at that moment this is a deeply prophetic moment because Jesus was saying to me no I identify with that suffering like I died on the cross and had all mm -hmm. the stones thrown at me yeah. you know and, you know, you don't have to take those. Like, I, I took them mm. for you. And um, that's just such a deep. And I had that cross in my hand. And I wore that amber cross everywhere right mm. up until the age of 19. Mm. when I was a gay activist, you know, and very active in the gay community. So what was the pinnacle of your gay activism? And then what were some, like, of those you know, we just, I call them sometimes like God winks or like God just like peeking behind heaven's curtain, which he's never really doing. He's always everywhere. But just like, how did you see his pursuit of you? So where were you in your activism? And then simultaneously, how was, how were the hound dogs of heaven coming after you? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I, there's probably way more than I can even remember or see at, the, at this point in time, but one of them was when I was younger and I was a French existentialist and was really into that mm. and um, <clears throat> was freshly back from France. And I went to um, a psychic in one of the alternative suburbs of Sydney and she read my cards and she looked up at me and she said, oh, David, you're a child of the light. You're destined to be with Jesus, the greatest mediator in the spiritual realms. You know? Wow. Um, and I was like, what? Jesus, what? Can I have my money back, please? Like, do you even know who I am? Like, you know, like, and, um, so I like stormed out of this like psychic's office getting my $20 back. And um, I sent my feminist friend, the Liz, in to kind of get her cards read the next week just to see if she wasn't an undercover evangelist. Yeah, right. So ironic because now I am an evangelist. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, there was nothing about Jesus in the reading. And she said to me, well, maybe it's true, David. And I just dismissed that. So that was one mm. of the little hoodwink. And then <clears throat> the second one was when I had been through quite a tough situation, which I go into in the book. And I just really lost faith in the secular ideal of romantic love that we kind of worship everywhere, even in the church. And mm -hmm. uh, I was in a kind of alternative club where all the big, like big wigs, the fine arts students, the political, you know, students all hung out together. And uh, I wrote a question, what is love 
in a journal and I was like, this is so cliche, but I actually want to know the answer. So I mm. handed it out to everyone on a journal with a pen and got it back. And all the responses were really superficial and mm. vapid and empty. And I just sat in the cab on the way home and just was like, there has to be more to life than this. We talk about love and yet we have no idea what it is. Like, mm. what are we pursuing? And so the, that facade just started to crack. And I think that was a revelation of God, a kind of like Ecclesiastes Solomonic moment where I was like, everything is vain. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. Like, what is new? And then I, I didn't have the response that knowing God was the new thing every day. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I was looking for God, but I didn't know I was. And then... Yeah, we can go into the next bit of the story if you yeah, like, Chloe. What yeah. do you think? I would love to hear the next bit. Yeah, so my uncle and aunt were, to me, what I would kind of at that time call extremists or fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. And I'd read articles in you know, the newspaper about those churches where they speak in tongues and it's like a brainwashing technique. And, right. You know, uh, like I just had just this picture of, their church as kind of like a cult. Right. And that, you know, they were like my intellectual and um, political enemies. Mm. So, you know, I met the Christmas lunch table 2008 and we strike up a conversation, Mm. um, kind of forced to sit near them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they're like eating their turkey and eating their, what we call prawns, not shrimp. And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) And, you know, my uncle just makes a comment about God. And I mean, he's a high class lawyer. So it was, you know, yeah, I was ready. For, I had my like battle shield out. Yeah, yeah. And so he goes, you know, God, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Well, you Christians think you have all the answers. And I went into every objection, machine gun objections mm. all over the place. And then finally, I said, you know, there is no absolute truth and you can't communicate truth with language. I've studied postmodern philosophy at school, at, you know, university. I you know, this is all ridiculous. Don't mm. can't even talk to me about God. Mm. And then um, he just said to me, well, that David, the problem with what you're saying is that you just said there's no absolute truth and that's an absolute truth. And you just communicated that with language. So you just doubly contradicted yourself. Oh, snap. And I was furious. Yeah. Like, I was like, how dare you try to like logically trap me? So, <laughs> I'm uh, gay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I win here. Like I won the war. You have like, all the cultural, Trump cards. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And um, did he say it? Did he say it in like a really harsh way? Because I think about how people are wrestling with like, when do I fight? When do I not? Like, how much do I say? What was his tone when he said that? My uncle is what I would call an affectionate maverick. So, you know, he'll he'll say the thing that you don't like to to tease you. Yeah. Like not in a way that's like malicious or trying Mm -hmm. to hurt you, but Mm -hmm. in a way that's like putting the finger on the thing you don't want to see. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or the thing you're like overly sensitive about that you mm. shouldn't be so sensitive about. Right. Um, and it's, yeah. So he's a very, you know, and now that I know him more profoundly, it's, it's very interesting, but mm. I kind of stormed out of the room and they left and it was all the big kerfuffle, but he did say one thing that really struck me and he said, David, truth is not a concept in my head. Truth is a person that I know. Mm. and that just did like even in my postmodern like studies like I was like that makes sense Mm. you know and then um yeah so I was kind of disarmed secretly and I think that's why I put on such a front of anger because I I didn't want to show that I might be actually convinced Uh, (laughs) yes (laughs) anger is a mask emotion Mm -hmm. for fear or sadness yeah 
exactly Lori. and so then he went into the car with my aunt and he had this kind of vision when he was speaking to me of the holy spirit descending on me in three months time and like jesus saving me so he said to my aunt you know in three months time david will be saved and he was right i only had three months left of being an atheist (laughs) that's crazy town (laughs) oh my word also i just need to note that was 2008 i know there are so many people in our world in in this like lgbt surrendered for jesus world that 2008 to 2009 were really critical i know jackie hill perry that's when she came to christ for me that's when i made my decision to follow christ like all in for you anyway i don't know what god was doing in that season (laughs) but he's like pinpricking a few of us so just what can we say we're like the vintage harvest you know like Make it a t-shirt right now. Okay. (laughs) So this leads to, I know, I'm sure some more deep thinking, which eventually led you to a pub. It did. So yeah, three months later, um, you know, I'd been really, really politically active in a political faction and been working for gay marriage and very passionate about that in that political faction. Mm -hmm. I used to like tear down all the Christian union posters on university campus and put gay marriage march posters over the top and yeah you know i was i was there that's where i was and um you know in the middle of this still this aching void in my heart Mm, still this yeah you know i want something more like what why am i doing this Mm. and so i um ended up in a pub in central sydney and there was this filmmaker there from my university. She was an alumna of my university, Madeline, and she had got her film into one of the largest short film competitions in the world. And I said, how did you do this? And she said, well, it was God. Mm. Um, and I was completely like taken aback and quite like kind of perturbed by it actually. And so, so which God, like Vishnu Allah, you know, whatever. And yeah. She's like, well, Jesus. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and <laughs> I then, see you. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. Um, <laughs> um, but because her film was about like people with disabilities, it really disarmed me and mm. it made me go, wow, how can she be doing such good when she believes in such a terrible religion? Mm. Um, you know, and then she said to me, um, what do you think about Jesus? And I said, well, I think he was a great man, but obviously not God and like mm. organized religion, etc. cetera. Yeah, and yeah. then I've read, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and Romans 1, and Leviticus 18. And she's like, I'm not even sure I know those verses. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, and she said to me like, but David, like, have you experienced the love of God? Mm. And like, She's like, you don't know the meaning of those desires or all of that until you've experienced the love of God. Mm. And she kind of just inflected to me that she really didn't like the narrow-mindedness of a lot of the Christian community on this and how, like, horribly the LGBTQI community had been mm. treated. And that just, like, like that bowled me over. I'd never seen a Christian actually care. Mm. Really actually care, like and embrace me as if they got what I've been through. Wow. And that was just so powerful and disarming. And then she just said, you know, um, I, I, right now she's like, basically like the Holy spirit just manifesting through her, like 
And she's just like, I really feel the presence of God right now. I have to pray for you. Would you mind if I pray for you? Is that okay? Like, I don't usually pray for people, but I just feel this compulsion. I just, wow, God's love is so intense for you. And she just like reflected to me that it wasn't just that he loved me as a kind of fact, but that she was experiencing how much more God loved me than everything else. Like it was as if this love was unique and for just me. And that Mm -hmm. just, I didn't know, it just was the one thing that could get through the huge wall that I had built over my heart and this veil over my heart. So she prayed for me and she prayed the Christian prayer of the century. Like in the name of Jesus, I just tell you, you know, dark things leave and you know, the blood of Jesus, she's just like going all for it. And I'm like, well, okay, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) And uh, she's praying for me. This like oil came on top of my head. Not like like a tangible, but a feeling. Yeah. It was like a tingling sensation, like the Holy spirit, like, well, I know what that feels like now, but I didn't know what that feels yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I live by that now, but like this amazing, like just, yeah, anointing oil just like started dripping on my head and then it went like, wow. got more and more intense and I was like a power through my legs and I was just like, whoa, mm. you know, what is this? Oh my gosh, God is real. You know, yeah. and I'd never had a spiritual experience mm. like this because, you know, I'd done all the other things, but this was different. This was mm. re- like real, mm. you know, it was undeniably real. And, and I just heard this voice say, do you want me three times? Um, and it always hits me this question because I'm like, God is so humble that he would get down on his knees and say to me, do you want me? Like, who is, who am I? You know, (laughs) there's just this beautiful, tender humility in this voice that was speaking to me. I've never heard a voice before like that, you know, it was outside of my cognition and then um, I said yes, and then I saw a veil over my heart and a pinprick of light, like in 2 Corinthians. It says, mm. you know, a veil rests over their hearts. And this pinprick of light just, like, came through into my innermost being. And then I felt a breath enter me. Mm. And I asked her, like, I feel like I'm breathing without breathing. What's happening to me? She's like, you're being born again. What? And then I was like, and I associated that term with things that were bad. <laughs> right, um, so right. Because like, you heard a trigger yeah. word, born again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, one of those Bible thumping born again Christians, you know? Yeah. And so um, then she just kept praying for me and like this sensation is just of God's love just mm. kept growing. And I felt this like tug of war. And that's why I called the book of War of Loves. It's like, are you going to be defined by God's love? Or are you going to be defined by the world's view of love, mm. which is not real? Mm. And, you know, I I've discovered for the first time the real identity shaper, you know, Mm. which was God's love. So Mm. then I felt this voice just say to me, as this tug of war is happening over my soul, will you receive my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I was like, oh, darn it, it's the Christian God. (gasps) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) So honest, I I love it. Jesus, okay, there's the Jesus, you know. (laughs) Oh, there's the words. Um, Oh, there it is. And I said, uh, yes, just very reluctantly, like a C.S. Lewis conversion. Mm. Um, And then this this love was just like poured out of me like a torrent. It was Mm. just like crazy. And like my whole body was burning up and she took it like flannel and like wiped me down. It's like, then we got in a, a car and went back to my house and she like tried to explain everything and it went completely over my head. And then my mom was waiting up and had heard about this prophecy. And I hated 
that my mom had become a Christian three years before this. And our relationship was like, you know, a bit on the shoestring, like, you know, impacted by this. And so I walk into the house and she's heard about prophecies. She's like, something should be happening now, you know? Uh -uh. Uh -uh. (laughs) Um, And I walk, (laughs) I walk in and, you know, she's just looking at me. She's like, David, is everything okay? Have you broken up with a guy? And I said, well, uh, mom, I just think I, uh, just, uh, think I've, uh, so <laughs> become a, 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 a Christian. <laughs> and my mom has like the diaphragm of an opera singer. So she's like, hallelujah. She's <laughs> like doing praise laps around the house. I'm like, mom, uh-uh. calm down. Like, she's like, I knew he was the God of the impossible. That if he uh-uh. saved you, David. You're, you were impossible to save. So he is the God of the impossible. Oh my word. So that was it, you know, and then there's a, yeah, there's even more. Yes. But I might stop there. Yes, know. thank um, you. Because we all just need to like just lay down for a while and cry and worship <laughs> God. So we'll see you in 10 minutes. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, but what, what do you guys think? Like I read that and I'm still like teary eyed. What yeah. do you guys think? I, I, there were a couple of moments where I got definitely emotional and like blurred vision a little bit just because I think that <laughs> that that first like we all start our journey even when you grow up in a christian home you start your journey kind of under the law mm. and and, mm. it, and it takes this this time where it goes from being the law to being the well as you so beautifully put it truth is someone that i know like where it's this personal mm-hmm. experience of like who god really is and what he feels about you and i know i know when that happened in my life i i know when that happened in Lori's life and and it's just this overwhelming wow. sense of like, oh my goodness, this yeah. is everything that I've thought I knew yet have been completely wrong wow. about and mm-hmm. missing the entire time. And yeah. and cool. um yeah, and it just it completely changes trajectories of, of mm-hmm. lives and, and so like it's I'm yeah. Anyway, I, I love wow. hearing your story. Steve, what are you thinking? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just uh, thank you, David, for your story and your faithfulness to tell it. It's so beautiful. I think of Saul becoming Paul. Yeah. I think of my adult son, and I can relate to your mom. Yeah. And uh, I don't have as strong a diaphragm, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, this does <laughs> yeah. just turn my heart to, to worship, you know, yeah. to praise the God of the impossible. So Amen. it's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, look at that, David, just how how it, they will be won by the word, blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and how mm. all of us, again, our response was not, David, you're amazing, but like, oh, I can relate in my own life and in others' lives. And God is so amazing, which is, that's where you sense the spirit. It's just such this beautiful space. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, someone recently asked me, why did you put such vulnerable scenes in the book? Mm. Why did you put and them the in? I did yeah, and I said the reason I did that is because all glory goes to God when mm-hmm. you yes. do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you sh- when you reveal your own personal imperfections and yeah. your own doubts and your own struggle, mm-hmm. then no glory can go to you. It has to go to the Lord. And so mm-hmm. I just I totally agree. It's this you know, I'm really just so blown away by the vulnerability of God. Yeah. It just and that how we ever think as Christians, we could preach the gospel in a way that isn't vulnerable. Yes. And I think if, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians, speaking to the Corinthians, the problem with the Corinthians, they weren't vulnerable. They wanted to cover themselves with 
sophistry and, mm. you know, a, 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 an abuse of the spiritual gifts instead of their proper use, you know, right. in loving one another. And, mm. like, there's just always this fleshly temptation to try to, like, make yourself look morally perfect. And right. we got to we got to trash that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We do. Well, yeah. and I, I need to like look at you and look at listeners as well right now is I, and we have done so many interviews and I've talked to so many people around the country and around the world, like who are for whom the gospel costs them something. And I have yet to not see them a do that vulnerability, like look in the mirror and be like, yep, here I am. And then two, this huge mm. piece of like, God is real. The Holy Spirit is real. He's have, so real. I have it's yet, like, you have to be empowered uh, by the Spirit to live this out. You cannot have do this very excruciating real life Christian walk, which is maybe why these LGBT stories that we've had so many on this podcast are like so astronomically like changing people's lives because it's the real deal for them and they're really tapping into the real Holy Spirit, which is what you talk exactly. about. <laughs> So exactly. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is, you know, he leads us into self death. And people think just because I'm honest about the sexuality piece that I'm somehow like, saying that, you know, scripture has changed, or that God's views changed, God's never changed. Like, mm. and God's creative purposes for our bodies has always been the same. Mm. But that you have to get to that not through the law. You have to get to it through the spirit, mm. through the love of God, through Jesus's embrace and, mm. and, you know, example in life. You can't get to it through just a bare facts of morality approach. It, mm-hmm. that, that's actually doing the devil's job for him. Yeah. And as a church, we've just got to stop mm. doing Satan's job for him and condemning yes. people. It's just not what God wants. Like Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn it. Like how many times does he have to say that before we get it into our thick skulls? Like, yes. you know, like mm-hmm. I just Amen. don't want to condemn anyone. Like I want them to know that there's truth and justice and holiness and like a standard that God does have for our lives. And there is a law that shows us more, you know, holiness, but that's not meant to be used to condemn people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the law more, it doesn't circle, do not do these things, although it does say that, but it more circles, here's where you can flourish. It's like in the yes. garden. Yes, don't do that one. But look at all the 10,000 other trees you can eat from. <laughs> like exactly. this is where you can thrive. And we say, no, I want it in that tree over there. So, David, this so beautifully feeds into where um, just where, where we can kind of launch our listeners. Uh, and, and you mentioned some pieces to this awkward middle, just how when you were on, for lack of a better term, the other side. And I don't like saying that because we are all we're not against flesh and blood enemies. We're against the rulers and principalities of this dark world. So, amen. You were <laughs> whatever, it, humanly speaking, uh, like you on the other side. But really, like your heart was being wooed by God. And then you came over here and then you have these difficult conversations. It cost you something to have these, um, to come over to the side B or to really just surrender your sexuality to Christ and have him come in. And then all of a sudden the other side is looking at you with these frowny eyes. How do you continue to like love and, and find those areas of agreement and walk into this other middle so that the gospel can be preached and so that there's more disciples like you and like all of us sitting in this room? How how do you navigate now that you've like come 
I don't know, you're, you're on Jesus team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, there's so much I could say. Yeah. But just the first thing I would say is looking at Jesus again as his example of radical identification and radical differentiation hmm. that he differentiated himself. He said to the Samaritan woman, you know, I don't worship on that mountain. That's not the right mountain. The right mountain is the mountain that the Jews worship on. Hmm. And to say that to a Samaritan is really controversial. Huh. Like, it's like not a very like, but before he did that, before he radically differentiated, he radically identified hmm. with the Samaritan woman's kind of problem. How did you, know, you how do you of, see that? Well, he's, I think he knew what it was like to thirst for the living water. Mm. You know, he'd spent his time in the desert being tested by Satan and having his flesh crucified and, you know, aesthetically denying himself in some really huge ways that we just skip over and go, well, he's the son of God. Well, no, he's also human, like very human. Right. And the humanity that's enough like our own to be convincingly our own you know right, right and he went through that and so he knew what it was like to thirst for intimacy for to mm. for union for oneness with another but to try to you know that temptation to look elsewhere in the wrong place mm. and he gave her the the answer which was himself in the holy spirit mm. you know and gave her that water and then told her life back to her as an, an act of identification and, and revelation. Mm. And I just think that's how I kind of want to walk with my side A brothers and sisters, not trying to like make them me, but say, hey, this is what I've discovered in the gospel. This is what I've discovered in the scripture. This is what I've discovered in God. And, you know, you need, you've got the same desire, the same struggle that I do. And I think this is the better way to go about it. And Here's why, and but not to try to like make them me, you know, and try to vulnerably share as Jesus did, and then also radically differentiate and say, well, that's the mountain, you know, this is what Scripture says, and mm-hmm. I'm going to stand by it, and I'm going to stand by the church that mm-hmm. is being faithful to Jesus with this, um, and uh, I feel like that's my right. And one other thing I'd say is, you know, I'm a minority within a minority with a minority <laughs> and uh how so you know that's well maybe just because i'm like gay same-sex attracted and i'm a christian which is another minority and mm. i'm celibate which mm. is another minority yeah, <laughs> yeah. um when you add it all together and i mean i'm not all about stacking up minorities um yeah but yeah. i think it is important to recognize that that, that creates certain difficulties in one's life mm. and uh that that is not just easy to walk out. And I often mm. find Christians just want to like wave a magical wand over the issue and move on. And I'm like, no, it doesn't really, we need to bear one another's burdens, yeah. you know? And so I, that's the other thing I, I think I find hard is like, you know, side A are always going on about how they're being discriminated against. And, which, which by know, the, the way, church. side A for new listeners is those who are yeah. affirming or hold to the view that God affirms uh, same-sex marriage. Side B, if you hear us say that, that means some people who hold to the historical Christian view, which is God does not allow or affirm same-sex marriage. So, yes. yes. Thank so, you, Laurie. Yes, That's you're great. welcome. Yes. <laughs> but just one last thing. I think, yeah, like, the thing I find hard is it's like, well, what about my rights? Mm. What about my rights to live as I desire in Christ and faithful in Christ and go to a church that supports me in that? 
and do you not support my rights? What aren't they in some way gay rights? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why suddenly is it just about one group of LGBTQI people? What about all the others? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. you know, we aren't just a small, tiny little group of insignificance. Like we are important. Mm-hmm. And so for me, there is that other side of like standing up for myself and mm-hmm. saying no, like, and not that doesn't mean like. You turn the other cheek and you, but you do need, Jesus didn't, wasn't a pushover, you know, Mm -hmm. he did stand up and say, you know, I am who I am. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. So there are some things that I think I wrestle with inside it and ways that I, with what said it and ways that I kind of have thought about it. But I mean, I kind of put myself in their shoes because I was side A for three years and Mm -hmm. I, I felt like that was the way to go and that I just didn't understand why God would have another view. But yeah. as I got more and more revelation from him in the Holy spirit by scripture and in, in personal relationship with Christ, then I could see it, but yeah. it took me three years. So yeah, I have a lot of compassion and love for my side, a yeah. brothers and sisters and mm. my heart goes out to them. So it sounds like for people wanting to go into this messy middle just to really to care about like LGBT rights, but to care about like human rights. Like it's not okay for you to get a rock thrown at you. It's not okay that we have these exclusionary policies where people can't like feel safe and not get bullied. I think we we can excuse things. So we excuse things as believers because we're like, well, they're sinners. And I'm like, Look at the three fingers pointing right back at you, sinner. Uh, and oh my so, gosh, I right? Agree. And so, how? Yes. So, really, to care about like that? I I say this. I said this is weak. I'm like dead people can't hear the gospel, or we try and like we go to conferences and we try and make them as like comfortable as we can in order for people to really receive from God. So, how can we make? Make give the best opportunity for people to hear God's heart and voice. And so to serve good meals, Absolutely. to reach out as your uncle did, to reach out across the table with this, like, let's eat together, sit at the same table and let's talk about this heart. And yeah, it, it, I'm going to listen to the spirit to say, hey, but what about this? Maybe not 10 what about this is, <laughs> but maybe mm-hmm. one when they've we've gotten to this place of compassion and they know you're not going to leave them. You're not going to quit on them. And then I'm, I'm exactly. hearing, I'm just hearing too, which has been the theme of today, really just love, love compels us and love supersedes everything else. Like it's God's love. Isn't just this ethereal thing. It's real and powerful. And it's a person, it's God. <laughs> love is, it's yes. God. And so just to pray, God, help me to love my enemies, do good to those who hate me, pray for those who spitefully use me. And, but to not just tolerate quote, my enemies, whoever they are, but to really love them. God, help us to love them. And then they're going to see like you have, and even the tenderness in your voice, David, for your perhaps enemies or who view you as your enemies and your, your, the Mm. way you talk and the way I can just picture your eyes of like this tenderness and grace. Cause you guys, even though David was actually was there, all of us were there. We've all, yes. we, came, we were there this morning when we were mean to our kids or rude to the person as we were driving. So we, none of us get to stand higher than another person. We just, we're all beggars in need of bread. Yes. Okay. Amen. Well, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. I get a little fiery too, man. So like, I knew on. you were a brother from another mother. Um, so thank you Preach so much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know it. 
But thanks so much for really just this whole conversation. Okay, minus maybe some of the Gandalf talk and <laughs> snacks, but, but to really explore how the gospel was first good news for you and how it still is. And um, just, yeah, I love that this is an ongoing conversation focused on the gospel. Mm. So thank you so much for sharing so beautifully, vulnerably, and making Jesus look gorgeous. Well, thank you, Laurie, for just hosting me and putting this story up. And I'm really, really grateful. And mm. I look forward to meeting you in the future and yeah. having a big hug. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know. I feel it. I feel it. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So for those of you listeners, uh, our question of the week for next week, this is a more benign one than what's your core fear? Uh, This is about autumn. This is about fall. What's your ideal fall day? We just did like, what's our ideal snacking day, basically. But what's your ideal autumn day? Just design it. If you're like, you know, you got to start with that pumpkin spice latte. If you guys heard me a few weeks ago, I said, I really hate October. I really don't like fall. I'm trying to lean into the joy of it. So if you could actually just give me ideas, I'm very self-centered in this. I just want to hear how I can make fall not be this big depressive episode for me. So thanks. Uh, So you guys as well, thank you so much for those of you who have partnered with us in making a new donation. If you like this podcast, if you're like, man, I really believe in what they're doing. Any donation of $20 more or more a month, we will send you a gospel addict uh, leather bracelet. And what's a gospel addict? That's those who know their desperate daily need for a savior. I wear mine every day. And it, it just really reminds me, Lori, you need Jesus. It's so great. And if I get asked about it, it's like, well, I get to talk about Jesus, which is great. Um, and then to just share this podcast with a friend, if you appreciate it and you just, you can't give that donation right now, just if you could just share it and say, Hey, I'd love for you to listen to this. And so that more people can hear just some of the, the conversations we don't always talk about in the light and and so that we can just make more friends and we can all hug as we hugged David today and we can get together and do that here in this podcast. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, we so appreciate you guys. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse, everyone. We're talking about the hole in his heart, which is Minnie Mouse. Are they married? They don't live in the same house, do they? They're just friends? Siblings? Mm, they're, they're not siblings. Perpetually, they're perpetually dating. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. not. No, no, no. Because if you go to actual like Disneyland, they're like super lovey-dovey. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Where, so, are, where so, are you? So with, with Mickey, Mr. is it the hole in my heart podcast? <laughs> <That's crazy>. <laughs> I would I would say probably Walt is meant to fill the hole in Mickey's heart, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, as his creator. Yeah. Or is it vice versa? Mickey fills, oh. fills the hole filled. Wow, he now did. we're going for very philosophical questions. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, Matt, talk about the 11th core need. Talk about core needs a lot. We've been training a bunch of churches. The last oh, yeah, at Calvary. Yeah. So Calvary. We, were, we were there doing a training, and they had some some brownies not just any brownies babe. that were that had crushed up reese's peanut butter cups on the top of them and i'm like and they were big as your head that is my core need right now because this is the 11th core need and that Chocolate. was that that was the end of it yep they were speaking my language no doubt no doubt Man. no doubt in my mind i'm now i'm thinking uh is this a regular thing that they put out for events maybe i should just look for things going on at calvary yeah because yeah. the next day it was m&m's crushed up on top oh my. Yeah. i know they were good but not as good as mine let's N- be honest. no they weren't good as the alton brownies that you make so it's really not even mine they're alton brown's brownies uh, alton brown 
He's a genius. He is the master of all the things brownie and mm-hmm. Alton-y. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay, I think we're ready to go. I'm 